This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. Invasive plants alter communities in myriad ways. One way this can happen is by the invasive having different effects on early versus late seral plant species. How do invasive species alter native plant species of different seral stages? Lauren Ergenson is a postdoc at the University of Washington. I recently caught up with Lauren at the Ecological Society of America meeting in Portland in August. Can you briefly introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Lauren Ergenson. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Washington in the School of Environmental and Forest Sciences. Okay. So what problem uh, was your study trying to solve, or what motivated your study? Okay. So there is an invasive plant species, uh, Polygonum bohemicum, or Bohemian knotweed, that is very prevalent along riparian areas, actually throughout the Pacific Northwest, um, British Columbia, and also throughout Europe. And um, bohemian knotweed grows um, in riparian habitats where it appears to displace native species. And um, native species that have very different ecological roles or secessional roles and ecological traits. So I was curious um, to the extent to which, in particular, tree regeneration, so the extent to which bohemian knotweed invasion would affect the regeneration, the growth and survivorship, of native trees at different secessional stages, and if the mechanisms of competition, so if not, we does affect growth and survival of seedlings, is it for the same reason when the tree seedlings themselves have very different resource needs? Um, so can you describe a bit of the natural history of polygonum and the habitat in which your study took place? Sure. And so... Um, Pluginum bohemicum is actually a hybrid species that only exists in its invaded range. The two parental species, Pluginum cuspidatum and Pluginum sacklinense, are also invaders, but they are from Southeast Asia. And so Pluginum cuspidense and sacklinense were um, introduced to Europe and North America around the turn of the century. And when these two parental species came together, they started to, um, they created a hybrid, Pluginum bohemicum. Can you briefly describe the, your main findings from the paper? Sure. Um, so I should say that uh, Bohemian knotweed, or Polygonum bohemicum, is a very tall uh, plant. It grows about three meters in height, mm-hmm. has an extensive rhizome system, and it has a pretty broad leaf area. And um, it, when it gets introduced into riparian corridors, uh, it spreads very rapidly because it reproduces vegetatively from the side from a rhizome fragment about the size of your pinky finger now. So once polygonum is introduced into riparian systems, floodwaters come, distribute the rhizomes downstream, and wherever a rhizome is um, distributed ends up growing into a new patch. And so uh, the study system where I worked is um, Pacific Coastal Riparian Forests. So the Olympic Peninsula of the United States um, is a riparian system uh, that is Primarily, uh, the riparian system was logged until the 1980s, and then it was the riparian buffers were protected underneath um, the Washington Forest Practices Act. So they're no longer able to log the forest, and it's actually being managed by the Quileute tribe. Um, and so, although they're no longer logging the forest, the regeneration that the protected buffers are intended to provide is not happening. And we thought that was perhaps because polygonum was growing there. Yeah. And so uh, the question was, what effect does polygonum have on the environment? 
So what is it, uh, does it, how much shade does it create? Does it have an effect on soil resources? Does it potentially affect the ectomycorrhizal colonization of seedlings? And specifically, the hypothesis was that for the early cereal spe tree species, and in this system, those tr that tree species is Alnus rubra. And Alnus rubra is an early cereal plant, so it requires a lot of light, and it's a nitrogen-fixing species. And so it's not necessarily, um, we don't expect it to be affected necessarily by competition for soil nutrient resources. Then there's a mid-cereal species, Picea sachensis, or Sica spruce. And Picea sachensis is more shade tolerant than Alnus. Um, and then the third species is Suga heterophylla, or western hemlock. And western hemlock is a late cereal species that is extremely shade tolerant. Though the hypothesis is, is that perhaps polygonum is outcompeting the early cereal and the mid-cereal species for light because that's the resource that's most limiting for those plants. But for the late cereal species, it's very tolerant of a lot of shade. So we thought, well, perhaps it's then affecting the late cereal species for competition for mm. nutrient resources or because it might be affecting its ectomycorrhizal associations. Mm. Okay. Um, so can you, it doesn't, can you describe what you found, like the, the two, yeah. one or two take-homes? So, um, the hypothesis was that the early and perhaps the mid-cereal species that are light-limited would be outcompeted by polygonum for competition for light. Um, and that's what we found, that polygonum uh, reduced the survival and growth of all tree species. But for the early and mid-cereal species, they seem to be strongly affected by light competition. Right. But Suga heterophylla can withstand uh, shade, shade levels below that created by polygonum. And so it didn't seem to be um, reacting to shade, but we found that there was an over 60% reduction in ectomycorrhizal colonization of suga's roots. And so with suga, it was more below-ground competition. So with strong invaders like knotweed that are able to dominate communities and displace a variety of native species, it turns out there might be multiple mechanisms underlying their success, both competition for resources and perhaps also interference of um, soil mutualisms. Okay, so you expected that early seral species should respond differently to polygonum invasion than late seral species. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain um, why it matters whether a species is uh, early or late seral species? It's often thought that one of the reasons that strong invaders are so successful is because they have certain characteristics or traits that are different than the traits of the native community. Right? And so early seral species are typically light-limited species that grow rather fast and um, can grow in soil conditions that are perhaps low in nutrients. Uh, and so there, you know, the li most limiting factor for an early seral species might be light. Whereas late seral species, they typically come in beneath um, a canopy shade and they might be more sensitive to soil nutrients. And so in, in that circumstance, um, the hypothesis was that, well, Late cereal species might not be affected by shade, but maybe there's something going on below ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so are your results specific to polygonum, or do you think they extend to other invasive plants? Well, you know, we, we often have the question of, well, why is it that certain non-native plant species become strong invaders? Why is it that they're able to move in and dominate native communities? 
And um, that question is often unanswered. And so when people look at this question, they often look at um, competition or the effects of invasive species on a single native. All they're asked questions about the entire community of natives. And very rarely is it asked, well, why is it? What is the mechanisms driving um, invasive species dominance over particular native species in a community or, or several native species? And so um, I think that the fact that there's multiple mechanisms are taking place might extend to other strong invaders as well. So it might not just be competition for light that helps explain why invader is so successful. Um, it might also be because this invader has a suite of traits that allows it to um, dominate in native communities and have ecological impacts. And, and that might be the case for other invaders as well. And there's also this combination of that it's not just competition, it's also interference. Um, and so uh, it, that hasn't been uh, shown in very many. There other examples exist, like um, Alaria pet petulata or garlic mustard. And that also is known to have allelopathic effects and to have a strong competitive ability. So this combination of multiple mechanisms has been shown in a few other invaders, but um, not very commonly and not, very, um, not shown specifically in how the mechanisms relate to the traits of native species. Right. So the, the mechanism for polygonum and uh, inhibiting early seral species yeah. um, via shading seems uh, that seems like a, a clear connection you know the polygonum's there and they're shading um, the early seral species under them but yeah. um, when the polygonum's altering uh, or inhibiting the late seral species yeah. um, via the sort of below ground mutualists what, what is the mechanism there? Yeah, so we didn't study that specifically. We didn't isolate the mechanism, so I can't answer your question for certain. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I was interested in examining the ectomycorrhizal colonization in the first place is that polygonum is known to have a very potent um, chemistry. And actually, it's been used as um, a traditional medicine for a long time, and extracts of polygonum are used as fungicides in some agricultural purposes. And so I thought that the antifungal properties of polygonum might be affecting, um, you know, ectomycorrhizal communities in the soil, okay. with then, which then might be affecting tree regeneration. Do you think invasion effects uh, of polygonum are likely stronger on uh, early or late seral species? And, and do you think that would, do you think these effects are going to scale up to affect the community? Well, sure. I mean, they certainly affect the community. And um, the strongest effects in this study uh, were on Alnus rubra. And so 85, over 85% mortality of Alnus. And that's the early seral. And that's the early seral species, yes. And so the late seral species, also there are significant differences in growth and mortality um, with very large um, amounts of mortality in both late seral species, but not as much as Alnus. So it definitely had the strongest effect on Alnus. And, you know, polygonum is also has early seral traits. And so it might be... Mm -hmm. um, that affects that species most strongly. But certainly, when a species comes in and it's able to persist and it's able to displace an early seral species, but also prevent a community development in that system, prevent late seral species from coming in, then it has the potential to have very long lasting um, impacts. Um, so, how general do you think these results are? In what cases would you expect the same or different patterns? Um, well, it's hard to say. I mean, this combination, 
the fact that certain leaders are so successful because of the combination of these mechanisms um, hasn't been explored in many other plant systems in the same way, but I, it's very possible that that is a reason that some species are such, um, have such a strong effect on the communities where they invade and where they're introduced. I do suspect that when invasive plants are able to displace native species with um, strong differences in traits, uh, exemplified by early and late cereal species, mm -hmm. for example, or Alnus rubra and Suga heterophylla in this particular system, that there, there's a good, it's very possible that there's multiple mechanisms underlying those impacts, but it hasn't been explored in very many systems. What do you think are, are the consequences for the field, uh, for the field that the study is, is sort of part of, yeah. of this paper? Well, I would love to see more experiments like this one. So experiments that not only look at the interactions between an invasive and a single plant, or not just its overall community effect, like, change, like the effect of an invasive species on community richness or um, abundance of you know, native species, but to actually start to look, think about the traits of native, individual native species when running these experiments, specifically two species that span um, a gradient of shade tolerances and a gradient of nutrient requirements and with other invasives and then see how those mechanisms might differ. And that's something um, that hasn't been done very often. So do you plan personally on um, doing any further research in this system? or questions? I would like to, yeah. Um, I would like to also uh, specifically isolate the mechanisms of uh, polygonum's effect on Suga ectomycorrhizal colonization um, to understand that a little bit better. That will be the next step, I think, of this work, and to understand why it only affected Suga and not ectomycorrhizal colonization of the other conifer species, the mid species, Picea sachensis. Do you think there's any immediate restoration consequences? Certainly. And so, I mean, the question of whether or not um, removal or focus on invasive plants should be part of watershed and riparian mm -hmm. restoration is certainly um, a new question, um, particularly in the Pacific Northwest where salmon conservation is very mm -hmm. important. There hasn't always been the funding to do the invasive plant work in riparian systems because the linkages between invasive species and riparian forest development, which then has direct effects on um, stream functioning, uh, wasn't made. And so now we see that, yes, actually invasive plants along riparian areas can have very large impacts on tree regeneration um, in these systems and can actually affect uh, the long-term growth and secession of riparian forests. And so that has direct restoration um, implications. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there many Nature Conservancy or similar types of groups doing active restoration in that area? Sure. So actually my study site was an area where the Koyu tribe was doing an active okay. knotweed removal project. And uh, knotweed restoration is, is very common along riparian systems throughout, throughout the Pacific Northwest, throughout Washington. Actually planting seedlings is often a part of riparian restoration efforts. And so knowing how um, if knotweed is present in a riparian corridor, that will affect certainly the outcomes of tree planting. Uh, so it will affect the growth and mortality of seedlings that are planted as part of restoration is important to know as well. We've been speaking with Lauren Ergenson, a postdoc at the University of Washington. For the Journal of Ecology podcast, I'm Scott Chamberlain.